welcome to Watch the Throne. What a lovely day. This is episode 21, Monster, from 2003. I'm Joey Lewandowski. And I'm Mike Manzi. And with us today, even though this is the movie that Charlize would win an Oscar for, that she would win a Golden Globe for, that sort of transformed her career, we did not bring in a Charlize Theron expert. <laughs> we brought in what I can, who I can only describe <laughs> as a Christina Ricci expert, nice. Cara Gayla Regan. Hello, Cara. Hello. I'm so excited to be here for this movie that is a really fantastic movie that I did not enjoy at all. I know. My yeah. review on Letterboxd is basically, I love Charlize, she's great in this, and I will never watch this movie again. <laughs> Guys, my thoughts were, I feel like this movie is a really great movie, but I don't like it. Like, something, something along those lines. Yeah, like capital G, great movie, but just really hard to watch. It took me three tries. I had to turn it off a couple times and start. This was actually the second time I'd seen it. I saw it when oh. it first came out. I saw it for school because we were sort of studying the screenplay in one of my first movie courses at college and stuff. This this film came up. That was the last time I watched it. I didn't think I'd ever watch it again, but I watched it last night for us. So I just watched it now, and I had to pause it several times and sort of distract myself with other things because it gets dark in a hurry mm. and then stays dark forever basically <laughs> yeah permanent midnight there is a great love story here in the middle but wow whew, it is brutal and uh, I should point out that this is written and directed by Patty Jenkins who most notably recently directed Wonder Woman so yeah. little cross promotion to the contenders who covered Wonder Woman on their show also cross promotion to Kara's podcast Wistful Thinking where we have talked about Christina Ricci multiple times mm -hmm. and weren't you and Jordan talking about maybe rating reviews on a scale of Ricci's? Oh, I forgot <laughs> we did talk about that, yeah. Great idea. I mean, it's the best idea. This movie, I found out, was Roger Ebert's favorite of the year oh. that came out, and he also said this was the third best film of the 2000s, of the 2000-2009 decade, this was number three. What I did not know was that in his top ten, there are three or four Philip Seymour Hoffman movies. Hmm. Wow. In his honorable mention, there are two Nicolas Cage movies, hey. uh, Adaptation and Bad Lieutenant. So I was like, man... He really would have liked what we were doing here. Mm -hmm. uh, we're covering the right movies. Yeah, we've got like without even realizing it, we're in step with Ebert. That makes me feel, <laughs> makes yep. me feel good. We're in, on the right path. Maybe he wouldn't have been wholeheartedly behind our choice of Keanu, but maybe who knows? I don't know. I don't know. Mm -hmm. Maybe who can say? I seem to remember that uh, both him and Siskel actually very much enjoyed the Bill and Ted movies. Oh, but really, who doesn't? If you don't, yeah. you don't have a heart. It's yeah. basically <laughs> the moral monster. of this story. Yeah. Exactly. A literal monster. Mm. So she was named after a roller coaster, uh, <laughs> I guess? <laughs> that is the one, that's the one thing I didn't remember what's like that. When that came up, I was so perplexed that that's where the title came from. The Ferris wheel, the monster. Well, I think that and the fact that her being regarded as, you know, like the first female serial killer in the United States, oh. which is not true, but like that she herself is also a monster. No, yeah, no, that's what I thought the movie was in reference oh, to. I didn't right. know okay. that they actually came yeah. out and like spelled out a reference to the there's a there's this <laughs> ride called the monster. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, I just didn't think it was necessary. I guess that was a real thing because apparently 
Eileen Warnos? How do you pronounce her last name? That's, Is it Warnos? I think that's sure. it. Sure. Yeah. That sounds right. Sure. That's what we're going to go with. She's apparently this, like, this reclusive woman who, like, never let anybody into her life, but she let Patty Jenkins read, like, hundreds of letters that she had written and received to sort of get in her mind. So I'm guessing most of this movie, most of the anecdotes like that, were at least grounded in some sort of reality. So the monster was a real thing. I just wonder, without that, would the movie have still been called Monster or would it have been called something else? I don't know. Who can say? Oh, I hear you. That wasn't that wasn't meant to be like a, a question to you two. I was just sort of like a, a hypothetical. I hear you though, but that was an extra touch that I wasn't expecting. To be quite honest, I, I didn't think we were going to get like deeply thematic. I thought it was just going to be like this sort of roller coaster ride in a way, like just this crazy relationship um, out of hell, <laughs> just these two people struggling to survive thing. I didn't realize that they were going to get that sort of introspective. I'm glad they did, though, because it just it adds sort of, I don't know, without that, I feel like it would be too intense. Like, I'm glad that with the voiceovers and, you know, there's there's actually a few sort of quiet moments here and there that sort of, I feel it helps the balance from time to time. Now, Kara, was this a movie? You hadn't seen this before, right? Or had you? No, I have not seen this before. So why did you sign up to do it? Just because you knew that she won an Oscar for it? I don't even think I realized that that had happened either. I don't know. I think I just was interested I'm not like one of those people that's like really into murder or like serial killers or anything but I am interested by I guess the concept of you know the so-called first woman serial killer the subject matter of the film was was intriguing to me I was not expecting I mean I don't know what I was expecting I was about to say I wasn't expecting it to be so dark but it's a movie about a serial killer so who knows not only a serial killer but like a rape victim turned yeah. serial killer yeah. like yeah. as though the one wasn't dark enough we add in her horrific backstory yeah. hooking since she was 13 you know giving a baby up for adoption when she's 13 yeah, and that was eight, the first right? time yeah. I had to turn it off Ugh. because she just casually mentions it yeah. during a voiceover it's... about something mm-hmm. else entirely and I was just like Oh my god, I have to turn this off for a while. It's just too much. I know, because I, I rewound it at that point, because that's when she has quit hooking, and she wants to get a job mm-hmm. to support her and Selby. And she's in the lawyer's office, maybe? I don't know if it's, I don't know which job it is. But she says about how the first time she ever saw a celebrity was like when this motivational speaker came to talk to someone. And she's like, you know, I must have been when I was 13, because, you know, that's when I gave up the baby for adoption. Mm-hmm. And I was like, wait, what, what did you just say? Right. And, like, the way that she says it, you're right, Karen, like, it's just so offhanded. It's like, oh, yeah, like, that's how I mark time, you know, raped at eight, you know, gave up a baby at 13, this, 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 all these other traumatic things. Like, that, that's how I knew exactly where I was in my life. And I'm like, oh, my God, like, whew. Mm. Yeah, it's it's heavy. It's heavy, man. Like, I, I feel like an issue or a theme of this movie that isn't totally out front. I mean, it is, I guess, if you're looking for it, but but mental illness. Like, mm-hmm. this, this lady Good is... Time. Yeah, severely, like, damaged. Those voiceovers are, like, I feel the only time she's telling the truth in the movie. Like, every time she opens her mouth, otherwise, it's pretty much a big lie, except for, I believe she loves Christina Ricci. The movie is pretty manipulative. Like, I think that's another thing that made me feel kind of weird about it is, like, there is a time where, like, I'm on her side, and I'm not saying what she did was right, but, like, there is a moment where it's, like, yeah, like, that first victim especially is, like, go girl like yeah like save yourself but then you know i feel like i'm tricked because i've like empathized with her and now she's doing these things that i can't forgive her for by the end of the film and i don't know 
at that point then <laughs> like I'm glad it's over <laughs> I guess at that point and I guess the movie has accomplished its mission yeah I mean I had some very uncomfortable feelings while watching it I mean for one thing this is you know this is a story that's actually being told by a woman wow yep. amazing that almost never happened it's a story about a woman being told by a woman both f- with the first person voiceover but also written and directed by Patty Jenkins yep and also and and based on so much of these historical documents these letters that she had written and stuff like that but at the same time I was like kind of uncomfortable I I don't know I maybe you can't make a movie about a serial killer that doesn't further stigmatize people with mental illness and sex workers I, I just was kind of like thinking about that a lot and kind of struggling with that because people with mental illness are far more likely to be the victim of violent crimes than the perpetrators and it's so often the media narrative we see the opposite of that so yeah and I think the only time we get sort of a shout to that or like a point sort of tried to be put to that is when she picks up or she's picked up by a guy who seems kind of he might be mentally ill too and she She's like full on ready to murder this dude until she realizes he's not exactly all there. And that's the that's when for me it clicked where I was like, okay, the movie's at this point the movie wants me to look at her and say, like, is she okay? I was already approaching it from from that point at that time, but I feel like the movie was trying to say, I hope you're paying attention that like even the people she's picking up, like everybody's contributing I guess in a way to shining a light on her and and how she who she really is. And not only is that just a guy who might be you know mentally ill or have some kind of issue, but that's Pruitt Taylor Vince back from right. fifteen or no back from Trapped. Yeah, I couldn't so believe that's it. Two Charlie's movies in the last four or five where he's back and and this time he gets a hand job. He does. He gets a real sad hand job, a real quick <laughs> sad hand job. In the last movie he kidnapped her daughter, and in this movie she gives him a hand job. <laughs> Toward, like, toward the middle and the end of the movie, I was sort of, like, the movie, I don't want to say the movie was losing me. I think it was losing me only in that, like, I was, I didn't want to keep watching it. I was sort of confused and worried and, like, this sort of feels, like, too much. Like, it feels sort of dragged out. But then, like, I sort of, I, I you know, I realized that this is all based on reality. It just sort of snapped me back in, like, oh, no, like, they're telling the story this way because this is how it happened. Or at least, you know, a version of how it happened. I don't know how exactly how accurate this all is, but every time I was sort of turned off, I was re-energized in a bit, in a weird way, knowing that this actually happened. And then it wasn't, like, a, a, a poor script. It was, like oh no, this woman just really just snapped and needed help in so many ways and just didn't get it. Yeah, I almost feel like if this wasn't, if I if we didn't know like all the truth behind it and everything, it, it feels like the movie's doubling down towards the end with like the violence and, and the extremism and all of that. But but that's how it went down, you know? But it's tough because like it just gets more more and more intense. Like I feel like by the time they're squatting in that house and they have the accident with the car, like things are super off the rails and there's still like an extra twenty minutes to go <laughs> and she's still gonna like murder someone else. Like I-, I hear you, like I feel like part of me felt like this feels either like sensationalized or amped up for entertainment's sake but I don't actually think it is like I think you're right Joy I think it's just because this is how like crazy it was and just how much I'm sure it's condensed a bit for time and all that I'm sure they did some trickery with the timeline and everything but I yeah I just kept reminding myself too like this is you know this is intense and this actually happened I don't even know how to talk about this (laughs) it's just it's so difficult 
to process and absorb. You want to maybe just go by like her performance for a little bit or something? Yeah, I mean, well, I, I think what we should first talk about is her her look. How about them eyebrows? Eyebrow. Okay, so here. So <laughs> I messaged just a carrot on Facebook already. When we did the, and I shouldn't say we, when you ladies did your Olympic recap rundown three episode honorary whistle thinking detour <laughs> to cover figure skating and hockey movie we talked and by we i mean you and jordan talked for a long time about eyebrows and i learned so much <laughs> one of the first notes that i took in this movie did you learn about threading oh that's a whole no i knew about threading a whole already. Other that's thing. a whole other thing oh, that's a whole other thing okay i'm sorry <laughs> i learned that from my i next, learned so. about the styles of the early 2000s and the thin eyebrows and my fourth or fifth note in this movie was in all capital letters cara those eyebrows like it <laughs> is crazy like they are and i, I don't want to say crazy because crazy i know is like it's the wrong term to use, especially in a movie mm-hmm. like this, but they are out there. Like, they are bleached blonde, real, like, super thin, like, almost invisible. She's wearing prosthetic teeth. I feel like she either has more freckles in this or yeah. isn't using concealer. That's what women actually look like. <laughs> but but her, but, like, bone but structure looks... But we haven't seen that. Yeah, I, I think there seems to be just some slight augmentation to like her bone structure maybe or not or you know what it is right she draws down the corners of her mouth really severely which actually like kind of changes the shape of her that's it that and i think the weight you know i think the Mm -hmm. weight adds a bit of different a dimension to her face to anyone's face you know you add or drop Mm -hmm. weight and your face is gonna get like it's gonna change shape and you know there's that one there's a couple shots of her full body there's one in her underwear and one when she's like naked covered in blood you see you know she definitely we've seen her with that with with little clothes on previously a lot in films and yeah like she has gone the extra mile to like fully transform herself not just like makeup or lack of but like everything the nudity in this film is decidedly unsexy but it's also like weirdly not weirdly but it's it's sensual in a way that most of her other nudity isn't like there's that real like there is a genuine at least for a while like a tender love story Mm -hmm. between her and Christina Ricci the nudity is obviously there by choice it's not thrown in there just because, hey, get topless in this scene with Mark Wahlberg or whatever, or Joaquin Phoenix or whatever it was from the yards. It's there for a reason. I appreciated that it's like this tender love scene between Christina Ricci, who is like this broken woman by the beginning of this movie, and then by the end, we have a category in the the Watch of Throne Awards for Best Character Transformation by Charlize, but like, of any character, I think, in any movie, that Christina Ricci that that we've covered, you know, she might go through the most, the biggest transformation like from being this like sad lonely woman to being like this confident even if she's kind of living a lie and sort of taking credit for some of Charlize's efforts and stories she's like a completely different person by the end of the movie yeah yeah she totally is out of her shell like I just think of her like body language when we first see her at the bar when she's got like the cast on and she's sort of slumped over with like the blazer on and everything she just looks so sort of like swimming in those clothes and then at the end when you see her on the stand and she's like pointing out Arlene and she's like sitting super straight and she looks like healthy and you know all that like she really looks like she has like done a full-on transformation and yeah her character goes through the ringer I feel also or is like led through a ringer um, and this this was the first time I think that I had heard about like the gay conversion Christ type of stuff 
like that is her character like her father uh, sent her away or she ran away because she is gay and her parents are against that and they want to convert her back to being a straight person and like you know that she deal she's dealing with stuff already and then she runs into this person <laughs> this murderer who's going to be a murder like it's just insane like i just feel really bad for her character when we start and i just keep feeling worse for her as the movie goes along yeah i mean it was a you know obviously mike pence is vice president so it's not like everything's all free and clear but like what a incredibly dangerous time it was at that point to be a gay person you know what i mean and that was like another thing that i had that was kind of like swimming in my head they don't really get into it that much in this movie but it does there is kind of like that backdrop i mean this is 1988 89 we're talking about like the aids crisis and stuff like that so for her to be like out as a lesbian is actually like a really big deal and we're in the south here too right i was trying to remember i think florida. it's, it's yeah. florida right yeah i wasn't sure if the entire movie took place there either but yeah. I think Christina Ricci winds up back in Ohio, maybe, by the end. But I think Charlize's whole story is Florida. Yeah. Oh, one thing I did want to mention before, I, I sort of branched my brain off into a different tangent, but you were mentioning, Mike, that her, her weight gain, she gained 30 pounds for this movie. Oh, so okay. There is that scene where she's taking sort of, I guess, what's colloquially known <laughs> as a whore's bath in the <laughs> truck stop bathroom. She, like, and, I mean, look, like, she's a whore, and she's, like, this is just the first time I've seen that. I mean, I've always heard it referred to as that, but this is the first time I've actually seen it in film I guess because I've always just seen like guy I guess guys do that in bathrooms but whatever I mean it just was weird because I was sitting there thinking like oh she is a prostitute and like I don't know I was just trying to make my brain wander I guess during this movie to other places sorry yeah my brain went a lot of different places too. <laughs> I mean one thing that I, I was thinking a lot about is having gone into watching this already at very much like a emotional saturation point for like thinking about things with women and abuse and work and sex work and power and trauma and like all of these things it's like me too movement or whatever I'm not trying to shoehorn this in with this but I think if I had had more time to like think about it and read and think and read and think this is actually like an interesting companion piece to that yeah I, I feel like this movie is as sort of prescient now or maybe even more so than it was at the time or even when this was a scandal like I don't I don't feel like you say care like Pence is vice president like things aren't really getting better they were mm -hmm. going in the right direction it seemed for a while but yeah over the last year it's just been like a dramatic reversal and so I feel like this could come out tomorrow you know what I'm saying yeah. and like the climate would be even better for it and it would yeah it, it's something that people should rediscover as difficult as it is and as hard as it might be to absorb yeah and uh in the movie she says that she had wanted to be president someday yeah. which like now doesn't seem that ridiculous right stormy no. daniels <laughs> yeah and if you i mean if you do want to watch this movie like i don't know i think i think we probably all recommend it but i don't know that we really you know you don't ha you certainly don't have to because it's very difficult but it is free to watch on amazon prime so if you have prime video you can watch this for free so that's how i did it and 
sure that's how both of you did it, probably. Mm-hmm. Unless, Mike, do you own this movie? Uh, no, no longer. I, I don't, no, I don't own this movie anymore. I watched it on Prime. I, you know what this kind of gotcha. feels like to me, and I don't feel bad saying this about certain movies either, is like, this kind of feels a little like film homework to a degree, yeah. you know? Like, there's just certain <laughs> movies that I feel like you should see. I mean, I'm guilty. I still haven't seen Lawrence of Arabia, you know, but that's definitely, you know, on the list. But like, this, I feel, is like one of those. Like, if you're not used to difficult films, or even if you are, like, this is something, you know, one day you might just want to sit yourself down and and watch and get through and expand your mind about or something. I kind of wish that I didn't just finish this movie like 20 minutes ago. You know, like I kind of wish that I was able to sit with it a little bit more. Like I didn't realize, like I knew it was going to be difficult, but I didn't know how so it was going to be. And I also, there's also a way that you could tell this story, not necessarily truthfully, but, like, you could turn this into sort of, like, an action movie, in a way. And I was like, maybe there's a shot, maybe there's a shot that it's like that. Like, not that, you know, that would have ever gotten, like, an Oscar. But I think that there's there's a way... There's a Thelma and Louise angle, I think. Thelma and Louise are, like, a natural-born killers or something. Or like yeah. a Miss 45 like... or something like that, right? Yeah. yeah. Where it's just, like, a woman, like, you know, like, kicking ass. Like, that's, like... I was like, maybe that's what it is. And then, like, no, it's, like, the opposite of that. It's just, like, every situation she gets herself in is, like, bleaker than the last... You know, her justifications for killing these men are less grounded in reality than the last. Can't help but feel bad. Yeah, I mean, there's the kind of logical justifications that she has for killing these men, but at least the second guy that she kills, and I would argue, like, subsequently every murder that we see take place like she she's clearly somebody who's been through a tremendous amount of trauma in her life and she is being triggered in these situations now having ptsd and being triggered does not the vast majority of the time lead to murder but like in the wrong circumstances you know wrong place wrong time wrong people wrong devices in your hands like that can happen so i i think people want to apply logic to how we see it like that you want to apply logic to her character arc and it doesn't belong there you know what i mean which makes this a unique movie because it's so subjective it's so much more subjective in a way like it's it's telling an objective story but from a very like she's not even like an unreliable narrator it's just like this very i got my i don't know is she there's times i feel like she's telling the truth and then she thinks she's telling the truth like she's definitely got like a sociopathic tendencies about reality i feel but really this time for me like hit it home was right at the beginning there's like two things about her that really stuck to me and the first was that she's homeless and like i just that's just a world that i don't know uh, anything about except for from film you know what I'm saying like unfortunately and like donating and the other thing is like she has that gun like she's about to blow her brains out like she starts the movie at rock bottom with nothing to lose and everything to gain Uh, so I tried to keep that in the back of my mind as sort of not like justifying her actions or anything but like what motivates her and it's just I think that she's just truly day by day like really in the moment, not even trying to consider, you know, consequences or anything like that with her actions. She's just, like, active. That's just, it's it's hard to follow sometimes when, when she gets so manic and, and gets herself into all this extra trouble. It, it compacts on, it's, it's <laughs> like, I can't imagine, like, I'm just watching this. Like, I couldn't imagine going through it or anything like that. Like, it's very draining. It's, it's taxing, I feel, on the viewer. But rewarding too like I'm glad I watched this movie you know I feel like it has sort of like I don't know like opened me up to other 
other things or something. Like, I'm having trouble talking about it, obviously, but, like, it's making me think. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's Mm -hmm. the main thing is, like, I'm glad I watched it because I'm thinking now more about this, and it's an open discussion again. Well, to your point about her being very active and just going from one thing to another, I'm currently rewatching Lost, and in, like, the last episode that I watched, Sawyer says something to the effect of, like, doing the same thing I've always done. I'm surviving. And that just made me think about it because she's just in survival mode through this whole whole Kara, I know that you like aren't being aren't thrilled with your lost rewatch, but like literally every time we talk about it, all I want to do is watch Lost. (laughs) Season three is really good. I had a really I had a lot of fun in season three. Season three is great. That's when they get uh, captured. That's the fish biscuit season, right? Uh, yeah, yeah. That's how it starts. My favorite season four when they joined the Dharma Initiative, right? That's four, or is that five? I don't know. I don't uh, think when, I saw when, that. Four is the Flash. Like, four is the Flash sideways. <laughs> nah, I didn't spoil nothing. It's lost. Yeah, you have no right. idea what I'm talking care. about. <laughs> I also don't care that much. <laughs> four is the Flash is sideways. I don't remember what five is. No, I think four is the Flash forwards. How many episodes? How many seasons again? Six. Okay, then I, I liked five. Five was the one where I was like, "That's it. I'm out." Like that was a great conclusion for me. But I still, <laughs> I still watched the extra season and loved it. What else is there to say about this movie and not Lost? Um, or we could just talk about Lost for another half an hour. Oh, we could so, do that, but I have well, tons and tons of trivia that I wrote down. Oh, I have lots of trivia too. I mean, I'm, we're not, I don't think we're not done talking about the movie. There's one thing that, that jumped out at me watching it this time around. I don't know. Do we ever really get Christina? Do we ever get ages of either of them in this movie? Because especially during the roller rink scene, Charlize's character just seems like really older and like out of place like it just sort of feels like Christina Ricci is like a child almost well she basically is I mean regardless of whether or not she's a minor like her there you go demeanor and her ability to use her critical thinking skills and stuff it's like very childlike so yeah she she does seem to be like looking for somebody to take care of her yeah yeah and she is sort of like a fatherishly figure right she's like just uh, in the terms of her being very strong and like assertive Mm -hmm. and tough and like physically tough and someone who you know could help like protect her and then try and make money for her one of the weirdest things i don't know is just how accepting she is of uh charlie's being a prostitute she's like why did you quit being a prostitute i don't understand go back to hooking i I mean they're they're both broken yeah and they found each other and i just think that christina ricci doesn't want her to completely change like i don't think anybody you're with you want them to completely change their life yeah. For you, and if you do, that's a huge red flag. Yes, yeah. And even if the even if what they're changing from goes from a red flag to a not red flag, with the fact that it changes a red flag, and so I think that's part of it. And I think it's also like, hey, you were not living a great life, but you were able, you were you were you know just like Sawyer surviving, and you were getting by, and you didn't have a great life, but you were you were still alive, and you still had sort of some control over what you were doing. But, like, I don't want you to give all that up just so that we can live in this motel or whatever. Like, it's... Yeah. I think it is weird on the surface to be like, oh, it's weird that she, like, you know, wants her to be a prostitute. But I also think at the same time, like, that's kind of what she, like, knows and what she's good at. And, like, that's her light. And I don't know. It's it's a very difficult thing to think about. I, I think I see it now as I accept you for who you are, right? I think that's the main point is that, like, this might be the first time ever that 
the Charlize character has ever been sort of accepted for who she mm-hmm. is, you know, like either if she's putting on a front or not, like throughout her entire life, it just seems like she's been used, abused and thrown away. And here's Christina Ricci who just wants to talk, like actually get to know her, figure out like what type of person she is. It catches her off guard, but ultimately that's why she falls in love, right? Like, because it's like, here's someone who is like, not an asshole, not a liar, not a bastard, not like a man, not someone who just wants something from me, is someone who's going to give me their time, their love, whatever, their their feelings, you know, all that stuff. Like someone who actually wants to spend time with me for me. Yeah, and they're just a couple of small town girls living in a lonely world. <laughs> My train going anywhere. The music in this the- movie was so good it's excellent but it was in the um the roller skating scene where that journey song comes on and at first i was like all right this seems like a little heavy-handed because the music cue is just so literal and then they started making out and i started weeping so it was very effective i am so with you i was like oh come on and also (laughs) by the way journey steve perry was the music supervisor the music Mm -hmm. advisor on this movie oh so that, I guess, makes sense. But there is... And I agree with you, Kara, that I was just like, oh, come on. And then, like, they start... Like, she starts skating backwards, and they kiss. I'm like, oh, my God. Like, this is <laughs> this is the best. Like, I love this. And then, like, later, when they, you know, have sex for the first time, they're playing, like, the, the Crimson and Clover. I'm like, this mm-hmm. is great, too. Like, what is going yeah. on? Like, how are these needle drops so obvious, well, but, like, so perfect? Patty Jenkins is a genius. Like, how can she have moments like that in the same movie <laughs> with, like, some of the most brutal moments on film, yeah. too? Yeah. That's a really good point. It's just great. And neither of them feel out of place. Like, neither of them feel inappropriate to to the film. And the voiceover is great, too, which, like, a lot of times is awful. I was just about to say that, like, there are so many lines in this movie... Like, Charlize speaks in this so much. Like, we've talked about this, I think, with Jordan, Kara. I don't know if we've talked about it really as much with anybody else, but... In these movies, we were really having a hard time nominating women for either best or worst non-Charlize role female just because there, there are none. many yeah. other yes exactly mm-hmm. that like when she's the lead there's not usually another woman like it's if there's like two people it's usually a man and a woman if there's three it's usually just another guy like that's just how movies are for whatever reason for whatever sexist terrible hmm, reason whatever and reason so, for, for whatever reason for whatever chauvinistic reason <laughs> here we not only get Christina Ricci in one of the best you know right up there Mike I, I don't want to make you angry but like right up there with Darlene Richardson from it's okay. and Reno, like two really good female characters in the last yeah. three movies. Mm-hmm. Like she's great, but we also just have so much Charlize. Like I think it was the first time. When was it, Mike? Was it Trapped that she was top billed? I think it was Trapped. Like I think this is only the second time in her career in 21 movies that she's been top billed. And like not only is she top billed, but she you know kicks the movie off by saying, "I always wanted to be in the movies," mm-hmm. and then just going on about like all these dreams she has, and then ending the movie with a voiceover and like voiceover throughout. Like not only is she top billed, but she's like she is she is the movie. Like she is yeah. throughout it. She is a dominant force. You're point from earlier can't be overstated enough like this is a female driven movie star like starring a woman you know the main character is a woman and it's written and directed by a woman like that just doesn't happen and like although it's just amazing of the hang on i did the math on this of the 12 producer credits only two among them are women one of whom is charlie's there is a male cinematographer 
all male assistant directors and was edited by one man and one woman. So, I mean, it's it's important to note that, like, yes, this was written and directed by a woman and it's a woman is the the movie, but at the same time, behind the scenes, not a lot is, is that different. I get it. We haven't really looked, and this is actually, I'm glad you brought that up because this is the first movie that Charlize produced. Oh, interesting. She, she did great. would go on, <laughs> a couple years later, she produced a documentary that she's not in, and then she does a couple more movies that she is in, so. And Atomic Blonde. was the she... first one. Yeah, recently she produced yes. Atomic Blonde. So. I think now she pretty much produces everything. Like, you know, in the last year or two, she did Atomic Blonde, Tully, Gringo, Flarsky, a couple other ones. Like, I think now when you're at that status, you're like, hey, I'm going to be in this and I'm also going to get a cut of it. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. For, regarding her in this film, I feel like up, up until, like, Mad Max, this was really the movie she was known for. Like, it is, it's mm-hmm. wall-to-wall Charlize. Like, you know, you said she's even a producer on it. Like, she's the star. She's, she's... Yeah, she's the driving force. And I really feel like at this point in her career, I actually feel it's overdue, to be quite honest. Like, I feel like she should have had, not maybe this movie, but a movie like this or a role of this caliber like three movies ago. Because, yeah, but yeah. There, I mean, a role like this for a woman in Hollywood no, is... I know. No, I'm not saying it's... Far between. I'm not saying it, it's possible. I'm just, yeah. you know, I'm just sort of airing my frustrations more because Joey and I have been sitting here like, she's a, she's great. Like, she's just like right. toe-to-toe with De Niro yep. and everybody you know the other thing to keep in mind though mike is that she's now eight years into her career if this was cage we'd be in 89 like we are still at the beginning you know what i mean like her first movie was 95 yeah that 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 is also hard to sort of keep in perspective because she's been in kind of like not blockbusters but like but she hasn't just been in indies you know what i'm saying she's not just like doing like five or six indies and one major motion picture like she's in hollywood films like her entire career like almost like pretty much from the jump start that's basically why i guess i'm like this of course like she's gonna get the oscar because if you follow her career you know she you know deserves the oscar it's just yeah this movie i don't know like maybe it's the it's got to be the role because like i think like other people could have done this but there's just something about her attitude in this that like I feel like part of Charlize is like coming through or something like that. Part of her swagger, part of her personality is in there somewhere. Yeah. I think she's sort of grafted onto this persona in a way and just like brings it to life, like full on, full fledged. I don't really know how it's done, but it's why I'm not an actor. But it's, it's just crazy. So in terms of other people who were up for this role on the sign, I don't want to blow up Kara's trivia spots if this is stuff that she wrote <laughs> don't down. Don't worry, I have plenty. Kate Winslet was the first choice for this role. Hmm. And she would have been um, also really... I mean, have you seen Heavenly Creatures? No. Not yet. My God. You guys, when we finish this, <laughs> go watch Heavenly Creatures. She's amazing okay. in it. She's amazing in everything. She would have been great, but I'm glad that Charlize did it, because she was also great. Reese Witherspoon mm. really wanted this role. She campaigned Which, for it. She did not get it. A very different kind of movie could have worked. Like some sort of movie like Election, but about a serial killer, you know, I, right. where she plays that same kind of character. Tracy Flick is basically a serial killer. Like that's, she's got the <laughs> oh, same exactly. mindset. <laughs> exactly. I could maybe see her as maybe the Christina Ricci role in this. So the Christina Ricci role was originally offered to Kate Hudson, but she turned it down. Oh, 
I could see that. My favorite bit of trivia about the casting is that Patty Jenkins said that she knew Charlize was perfect for the role when she <laughs> awoke to a scene of The Devil's Advocate on television. So I like, nice. number one, that she either fell asleep to watching The Devil's Advocate or fell asleep to something else and woke up to this. But she said Jenkins at the time was writing this film and she said that an actress that would allow a close-up of her nose running, as Theron did, would be open enough to pull off the challenging role of Warnos. Like, I just like that she's like, oh, there's beautiful woman who is adored by Hollywood, the fact that she would like look gross and snotty in a movie, she could play a serial killer, sure, why not? And like it works and I love that, but it's just like it's the coolest bit of casting I've ever ever seen. That's great. I love hearing stories like that that just like other filmmakers watching certain films and, you know, just being like, Oh, I was watching The Devil's Advocate and it came to me like in a flash or something or whatever. Like I was watching Star Wars and then and suddenly I I realized I needed to cast Oscar Isaac or something. That's always fun. The only other person just now thinking off the top of my head who I would maybe want to see try and attempt this is someone like maybe Robin Wright. Mm. She did this movie, She's So Lovely, a while back, where she turns in a very intense performance in that, and Sean Penn's in that, and Travolta's in that, and that's a great movie. I don't know. She's the only one now, just as we're sort of going through trivia, that I popped into my head, and she's also was in uh, Wonder Woman, so sort of like. Well, you know Jenkins. who else could have done it? We just talked about this woman on a podcast we recorded last night. Is sh- like a Sharon Stone type? Oh, totally maybe. interesting. Yeah. Although she would have been probably too too old. old. She would have been like 45-ish at this time. And going back to your thing earlier, Mike, I would guess, I mean, I don't think we ever get ages. I would, I mean, we could probably find out based on when they were actually born. I realize that I'm guessing Fatima Ricci is supposed to be about like 18, and I'm guessing Charlize is probably like 24, 25. I think she's just like world-weary. You know what I mean? Like she Mm -hmm. looks like she could be 40 just because she's got like the miles of being a roadside like a street hooker you know what i mean like yeah. but i think she's probably just several years older i think there's a, i think there's a sizable gap but i think it's not like she's not like twice her age or anything yeah i sort of landed on christina ricci was like maybe 21 like younger like early 20s and then Charlize was like older 20s you know so they're just on the opposite ends of that of the 20s or something i was comfortable with that yeah but you're right like with the true stories like i totally could have just googled it or something like that yeah but it's it's fine we can do it after the fact that is totally fine actually christina ricci's character is not the real woman from real right. life it's it just based on her girlfriend i think right kind of yeah but apparently that woman is very litigious so they had to make up oh, a new character i see i see a couple other little bits of trivia what did i have here uh fuck and his permutations has spoken 189 times in this movie I wow. also wrote that down. So she's like a radio in this, like just constantly turning the dial on a radio. I feel like she's talking and talking, talking, like everything comes out of her. It's, it's it's a great sort of like character trait that she just can't shut up, you know, that I don't know if it's that she likes to hear herself talk or whatever it is. or She's just got someone listening to her at this point, you know, for one. Some- I think it's different things. I think sometimes she's she lacks self-confidence. I think in other times she has too much self-confidence, maybe. Like, I think in those, like, some of the some of the best scenes of this movie are when she's trying to get a job. And, like, there's mm-hmm. that one scene it's where my she favorite just part. calls off a lawyer. <laughs> oh, my Fuck God. you, Leslie. So good. Which was apparently improvised, as, as IMDb says. Fuck you, Leslie. Uh, but, like, <laughs> those scenes where it's just, like, she goes from, like, just trying to explain herself to this world that, like, just 
openly does not want her. And then she's like, no, I'm above this. Like, I am better than this. Let's him have it. Like, it is, that is such, such a good scene. I mean, I I wish that I had that kind of confidence. <laughs> I mean, not really, because, like, obviously doing that in a, and I don't even know if it's really confidence or just, like, an inability to, like, regulate her emotions. But the ability to, like, in a situation, realize that it's fucked up and tell the person that it's fucked up, that seems like a great skill to have. But the reason that I love that part in the movie the most is that between the voiceover and what you hear her saying, like in the job interviews, you hear her talking about the skills that she knows she has. She knows she's great at negotiation. She knows that she has like this incredible memory. She knows how to work a Rolodex. And she's like, she shows that she's actually like really smart, has a ton of marketable skills and is really articulate about her experience. It's just just not in the way that the world needs it to be and so she winds up being shunned because of it she says i've worked with people all my life so i'm real good with people i know how to work a rolodex and just like she's right i just think that like if she went to like miss manners school she could definitely get a job but it's it's just that she's she's she doesn't censor herself right like she is eileen warnos no matter what it is and just like things like you know she quits hooking she wants to be a vet she's like i just fucking love animals you know like that's just you (laughs) know that's all she needs to know that's all she needs yeah i think part of it is she doesn't realize that she's delusional (laughs) she you know like she like the guy is kind of right where he's like i've worked you know people work their entire lives and like you know our secretaries have at least like an interest in law or know what they're talking about and stuff but like you know she just expects to go from being a hooker to being a secretary like overnight and unfortunately like as bad as you want it like that's just not the way society works you know society is just against her it's you know it's just the ultimate barrier that she's up against and you know not being able to function in society is just kind of like it's the end of the road right like she's literally homeless hooking on the side of a road like there's just nowhere for her to be and it's just that's that's depressing (laughs) like that's just so it's so because you just want her to catch a break and in this movie she just never does you know it's just ultimately she's gonna get the chair i love the shot of her riding a go-kart by herself oh yeah just waving to christina ricci like that is such a devastating scene where she goes to this amusement park with her girlfriend and her girlfriend abandons her and that doesn't get her down like she's just sort of i guess happy to be there kind of you know depressed watching christina ricci and her new friends go around that ferris wheel but then it's just like it seems totally okay just riding a go-kart by herself and then knowing that she's going to catch up with christina ricci later and ride that ferris wheel so yeah there's a weird dynamic between her and i don't want to just say like other people but it's like you know she comes right out and says like she's not gay and yet she falls for this woman and they develop this relationship and it seems very genuine and honest you know from from that point like i really do feel like they're in love sex like gender doesn't have anything to do with it from you know, from her point of view or anything and yet though she's not gonna like kind of hang out and engage with the other lesbians and she goes to the biker bar and kind of like you know shoots the shit with all the leather dudes you know what i mean and like kind of i guess sees herself more comfortable in that environment i'm not sure exactly what i'm getting at but like i, I just feel like there's a part of her that that maybe that shyness that confidence something closes off maybe she doesn't really i don't know what it is about not being able to relate or just relax around other women but being able to hang out and shoot the shit with the guys um there's that but i felt like there's something happening there i think most women are very uncomfortable around sex workers 
And I can't articulate why that is, but it's definitely like a documented phenomenon. It might have something to do with that, but she's been treated really poorly by women. Obviously, she's been treated really poorly by men, but I think she's also been treated poorly by women and like has a hard time connecting with them as a result. Yeah, I think I agree with that. I, I don't know. Like, I have no mindset or knowledge there but i think that makes sense it's sort of like it's kind of the devil you know sort of right mm. like it's yeah yeah because i wasn't even sure if like she was trying and i mean this is like a this might be a big stretch i don't know if i'm digging too deep if like she was trying to sort of like not be a man or anything but like she just seemed like the man of the relationship or so i don't know if she saw herself maybe like because of the way she had the character had been treated throughout her life like she should try and just not being a woman like wasn't working first so maybe trying to take on more of this like defensive masculine quote-unquote like persona is like a protection or some sort of shield or something i wasn't sure but i don't know well yeah i mean you see the way that she holds herself especially when she's like out on the street and she like almost puffs herself up like a bear or something you know what i mean the way that she holds her body and holds her face is like very menacing um and i think is very much a form of self-defense like a don't fuck with me i mean you can fuck me but don't fuck with me kind of uh approach do we have a um an actual kill count by any chance because like i honestly just like lost kind of touch (laughs) so she killed seven men in real life wow uh but she was only tried for six Okay. Do we have like a time span on that in real life or anything? I think it's over four-ish years, maybe. Oh wow! That's okay. Right. Yeah, like two, three to four years, maybe. All right. The movie kind of makes maybe if there's one flaw, the movie kind of makes it feel like a murder spree took place like over a month to me right. or something. Yeah. <laughs> there's that scene which actually I kind of like the the shot, but like they they buy a house or they rent a house together, and Charlie's like carries her. Across I think they're the squatting. Threshold. Are they squatting? Aren't they just squatting? Carrie, do you have any? I thought they were renting it, but squatting would make a lot more sense because usually you need things like a credit check and stuff like that to rent an apartment. So I don't know. But I feel like Christina Ricci might have a good credit score. I don't know. I mean, Charlie's definitely certainly does not, (laughs) but maybe Christina Ricci does. I don't know. No, um, I mean, you need like a, a credit history in order to have a credit score. And up until like 1970 something, women weren't even allowed to have credit cards. Holy shit. So... Oh, did you not know that? That's I'm sorry. I'm I'm a bad human for not knowing that. (laughs) No, it's okay. I guess most people probably don't know that. Yeah, because it just seems insane to me. (laughs) Right. So there's a subtext of this movie, and you see it when, especially when Shelby and, and that lady Donna, they're like having lunch at some point towards the end of the movie and Donna says something and they're talking about like it, it's very revealing about the choices that women have because Donna says something to her to the effect of like someday all you're gonna want is a roof over your head even if you have to sleep with a man to get it one of the other things that I was thinking a lot about while I was watching this was women's options and opportunities and circumstances and how often they are tied to the terrible men <laughs> in our lives I I think that's very much the case with the character of Lee, that she has, you know, had her life ruined by men, essentially. Selby, like, wants nothing to do with them. Throughout history, women haven't really had an option not 
to have to deal with men, you know, and to be able to like get their own jobs and like work and save. And women weren't able to have savings accounts until the 70s and credit cards and all sorts of stuff. So even though this is the late 80s and women were starting to enter the workforce outside of the home, because women have been working at home for centuries, obviously, there's still there's not a lot of options for women out there. And we see that kind of play out over the course of the movie through Lee's sex work and through Selby like has this broken arm and she's not able to work and you know so they wind up in this fucked up codependent relationship because they don't have a whole lot of options you know what I mean yeah so I I I, that was a long way of saying I don't think either of them (laughs) much of a credit history (laughs) I looked it up and she she killed in real life she killed the men over between 1989 and 1990 so somewhere between, you know, maybe like six months and a year or two years or whatever. So oh, okay. that's, so it's not too crazy right. of a time gap, but there is uh, a time span there. I also just saw that she died. She was executed in October 2002. So obviously she was in touch with Patty Jenkins to support, to provide the letters, but she never got to see the movie. Mm-hmm. I don't know if she would have been allowed to see the movie, but I would imagine that they might have let her, but, you know, it came out after her death. So That's crazy because, like, in the movie... There's a, she says a couple things about like I always wanted to be famous or something like I that. I always wanted and, to be like, in the movies. Yep. She ends up being infamous and yep. getting a movie about herself, but that's just she never gets to see it. So it's like another form of punishment. You know, it's like when Tanya couldn't skate anymore, I guess, or something. It's like yeah, I'll do the time. Just let me skate. <laughs> yeah, and I think that's another great example of what I was just talking about of like options that women have and how their lives so often get tied to the problematic men in their lives. One scene I really liked, because I think this kind of connects to, like, just how men are, are just, like, you know, terrible in these women's lives and, like, are just, even though they're off screen, they sort of dominate them. Like, there's the great scene when Selby goes home to get, like, some bags and whoever she's staying with comes out and her dad's on the phone. Oh my she's, God. like, standing up to her dad and, she's like, like uh, on the I'm an adult now. <laughs> yes. Yes. I've had that, I mean, not that literally exact same conversation, but I've definitely said that to my parents. But like, uh, I'm an adult now and I can make my own decisions. <laughs> like, I feel like that's, you know, that's one of those moments that she tries to break free from those types mm-hmm. of, that type of bondage, you know, and that's, we're seeing it there in that scene. Yeah. I mean, and something that we talk about a lot on Wistful Thinking is, or at least we did when we were doing some of the more child programming sorts of stuff, like The Little Mermaid talking about marriage and how historically it's been, you know, not this pairing between two people that love each other, but instead of business deal where families would sell their daughters to people for various reasons. Lots of property and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I want to read a quote from Roger Ebert's review that said, what Charlize Theron achieves in Patty Jenkins' Monster isn't a performance, but an embodiment. It is one of the greatest performances in the history of cinema. Wow. Pretty It's strong. amazing. Yep. It's unnerving at times. Oh, no, like, not at times. Uh, most of the time. Like, through the whole the movie. Time. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> the, the whole movie. <laughs> uh, I have another note yeah, here. Uh, yeah. This is just a shout out to, since we plug so many other podcasts on our network, shout out to Now and Again. I just made a note of this, that in 2004, BT released a soundtrack to the film. Uh, if you're playing the Now and Again drinking game, Nico talks about BT every episode, and BT did a soundtrack for this film. So <laughs> drink for BT. This is also the start, which I did not realize... 
Um, the start of the, you know, Charlize's sort of, you know, mini run of accolades. I mean, she's been nominated for like a hundred awards or something in her life, but she'll get nominated for another Oscar three years later for North Country, which is a movie that Tobin's going to be on that I know nothing about. Cool. She is it. going to be nominated for Golden Globes for North Country and Young Adult, but also the movie we're doing in two weeks, which Kara's going to be on, The Life and Death of Peter Sellers. So that's pretty cool. She didn't win it for any of those movies, and she doesn't win the Oscar for North Country. These are the only, this is the only Academy Award and the only Golden Globe that she's won. But we're in this little run of three to five years-ish where she's going to get nominated a handful of times, and then, you know, young adult several years later. But we're at the sort of the beginning mm-hmm. of, I guess, sort of heavy, heavy-duty Charlize roles, which is cool yeah that's good for you guys i'm excited because i feel like (laughs) she's been the best part of almost every movie and there's been some sort of more misses than hits i feel but i'm still having a great time don't get me wrong (laughs) i'm not giving up or anything like that but i'm just looking forward to you know this phase i guess it's like a whole new phase now where it's gonna be she's gonna be leading the show more often than not i really loved men of honor um that was the one, right? <laughs> With Cuba and uh, De Niro. Yep. That movie's great. Yep. I love that movie. And she's in it. That's, you know, one of her very brief... That's one of the movies where she's in the least that I like the most. Yeah. Anybody have any other notes about this movie before we get on to the game that we're going to try out here for the first time? I have tons. Go for it. Uh, <laughs> did you know that Charlize's Best Ast- Actress Academy Award is the only Oscar win, or, or the only Oscar nomination for this whole movie? Yes. No. Yeah, isn't that wild? That's crazy. I honestly, like, I think this is a good movie, but I, I, I really do think that without this performance, this is a fine, a pretty okay movie. Yeah, but even, like, a technical one, like, for the makeup, or... Well, is, is it a technical like, one for makeup, or is it just, like, a lack of makeup? Is it, like, a lack of makeup? Yeah. No, but there were prosthetics. I don't know. I just, I feel like there's got to be some other Oscar-worthy work Dude, here. there's definitely... I mean, I feel like, yes, you, you need Charlize for the performance, but Patty Jenkins, like, mm-hmm. come on. Like, this is as much her movie as Charlize, I feel. And also, I feel like it's... The script is, like, super tight. Like, I have not read yeah. the screenplay, but I could imagine that, like, it reads really well because it plays really well so i'm i'm really surprised yeah it's also edited really well Mm -hmm. um especially i i think like the best parts of the movie are the parts with this the the voiceover and then what you see happening yeah kind of underneath it and how that's cut together is really quite amazing yeah yeah they they use voiceover is the one thing you know i think not just myself but like most people complain about a lot in Mm -hmm. in movies and you know and this is using it perfectly or to the degree that i feel like it works best is when what you're hearing and what you're seeing are two totally different things and at best they're contradicting each other like we recorded that episode of the nice guys joey recently for boyfriend material and like both introductions of russell crowe and gosling in that like they're you're hearing their voices talking about one thing but you're seeing them doing something like completely different that just shows that other other parts of their character and i feel like this movie implements voiceover perfectly yeah uh christina ricci had actually broken her arm before the production so oh, that's Patty jenkins decided to just add that to the character I love that. yeah holy crap that works so well that's such like yeah. a little quirk that feels written in because the character had that not because mm-hmm. like it's improv or anything Oh, she won the Academy Award on Eileen's birthday. Saw that. February 29th. Yep. Did you look at how much they made this movie for? No, I didn't actually look at the box office at all. $4.5 million was the budget. Wow. Do you know how much it made? A lot more than that. 
in the U.S., 34.5, and cumulative worldwide gross was uh, 64.2. Hey, so it sounds like uh, Patty Jenkins' two biggest movies of all time were both massive financial successes. Maybe you should let her make more movies, Hollywood. Hmm, maybe. How many movies did she make between Monster and Wonder Woman again? She's only directed Not many. She mostly has been working in TV. What is that? That's crazy to me. Well, I read up on it because I, too, was very uh, curious about that. She had a bunch of projects like that were about to happen and then fell apart at the last minute, one of which happened because she got pregnant, which is really unfortunate and happens to women all the time. They have work taken away from them because they uh, are pregnant or they have children. So most of what she's done in between those two movies has been directing TV, which is unfortunate. What shows? Does anyone know what shows she's been doing? Uh, She did one episode of Arrested Development. (laughs) Was it a Charlize episode? Oh, for British eyes only. Charlize episodes? Oh, maybe. I don't know. The one where they build a house. Let me see. So it sounds like all of them. Yeah, that's the whole (laughs) series. They're building one house. (laughs) Oh, it's called The One Where They Build a House. Okay. Yeah. Uh, It doesn't look like she was in that one. No. Okay. Uh, She did two episodes of Entourage. <laughs> oh yeah, two episodes of killing. I knew that. Yes, 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 yes. Yeah, the pilot okay. and the finale for that. Alright. Betrayal, one episode. It seems like she'd be directing Breaking Bad or Game of Thrones or something of mm-hmm. that caliber, you know? Like I could totally feel her fit breaking bad. Like the way that she is able to balance tone in this film is just you know, remarkable. Like, few men can do what she does in this There movie. was... There's, it's not on her IMDb. It's on her letterbox. I don't know what this is, but she directed something called I Am Superman, which has one huh. review. It has a one-half-star rating, the worst you can give it. Uh, there's no information about it other than the description. A fighting pit bull finds itself on a strange and unexpected journey that will ultimately decide its fate, which sounds cool uh-huh. enough as it is. And then, if you look in Discord... If you look at the box art, album art, poster art, whatever, it's like this old-timey Catholic sort of Jennifer Aniston-looking woman that's dressed like... Is that Michelle Byer or Vanessa Byer from Saturday Night Live? I have no idea. I am Superman. Patty Jenkins. Beautiful painting. Did you know that Patty Jenkins actually went to Cooper Union for painting before she became a filmmaker? Whoa, whoa, whoa. Hold on. I'm sorry. I'm sorry that I interrupt you, but I just Googled, I am Superman Patty Jenkins. (laughs) And the second story that comes up is Patty Jenkins and Ryan Gosling may team up for I Am Superman. Whoa. So, yeah. I don't know so what this, this is, is the yet, one... but this is coming out soon, or later, or sometime, or never. I don't know. So this is the one that she attempted to make a film with no relation to the DC Comics character with Ryan Gosling, but that film was delayed because she became pregnant, so that was the one that I was talking about. Oh. She said she still wants to make it, though, so I don't think it's actually a thing, or maybe it is a thing. No, yeah, this... Know. This story came out last May. So I guess when she's on sort of the the promotional tour for Wonder Woman, she's like, hey, there's this other superhero, not superhero movie that I want to make. She basically, you know, should have a blank check right now for Wonder Woman. Yeah. You know, like just whatever she wants. If they're giving... She should have had a blank check after Monster. Well, yeah, yeah. That, no, absolutely. <laughs> I totally agree with you there. But like, you know, it's still not too late. Give her the keys to the kingdom. Like just, you know, whatever her passion projects. Like I feel like the problem now is like they want her back for Wonder Woman too. So she's got like big obligations with that. But hopefully mm-hmm. when the dust settles, like she'll go back and maybe make some smaller stuff or who knows, you know? 
do whatever she wants. I'm just eager to see more stuff from her. And she's writing Wonder Woman too. She didn't write the first one, or at least she doesn't oh, have a writing good. credit on the first one. But she's writing the second one, so that's she's going to be even busier. Okay. Maybe Wonder Woman won't be the only woman in most of the movie. Yeah, that'd be nice. Once they leave the island, you mean? Then it becomes, yeah. you know, Wonder Woman in the world of men. <laughs> just to close it out with Wonder Woman, you know, now just because of rewatching Monster, like there's, you know, she does a great job in that movie too of two different types of scenes you wouldn't expect in the same film. Like there's some really nice tender moments in that and then there are just like extremely brutal moments as well so and then there's sort of like the ultimate scene when she's going through no man's land which is just like sensational you know it's just like all the emotions swell in that it's it's violence but it's also like majesty and that's just one of the coolest sequences i've ever seen yeah they shot monster in 28 days Mm -hmm. doing as many as four scenes or nine pages of script in one day Patty wrote the screenplay in seven weeks and the production was set up in two months. So on a shoestring budget, like I, it's, it's amazing what she managed to accomplish with this movie. It seems like they almost shot it in, in like an indie way, you know, it's like, mm-hmm. it's got the indie spirit style and, and energy to it, but it got like a wide release, you know, cause it's got a major movie star. One of the undercover cops that arrests her at the end of the movie is a man named Kane Hoder. He is a stuntman oh, no. known for playing Jason. Jason. Voorhees. Yes. No yeah. way. And Friday the 13th, part seven, part eight, Jason goes to hell the final Friday and Jason <laughs> X. Nice. Jason X, my favorite. That's so funny. I, yeah. I love that scene at the end because I wasn't sure even having seen it before if those guys were like trying to get her to like take advantage of her or oh yeah i thought she was gonna almost get murdered again right yeah i totally and then they're the cops and it's like okay (laughs) there was like a weird relief (laughs) that like she was only getting arrested (laughs) yeah no i felt the same way but there's that great conversation between her and bruce dern who is also really good at the ass movie uh, where they just talk about like circumstances and how like he felt very similar coming back after Vietnam that they just like never had a chance given their circumstances and he actually tries to save her he tries to like encourage her to leave like through the back fence or something and she thinks he's trying to get her services or whatever oh i think he wants to get her over the border i think he was saying something like that because he's he knows that she's wanted now so mm-hmm. he says, I think he says, I got to get you over the fence, meaning the border fence to Mexico. Oh, I just thought he meant like the fence of the bar. Oh, okay. Because they were like that could in be an too. outdoor area. Oh, that's what I thought too. Yes. <laughs> I think like, I need to get you out of here. I think that's, I think that's exactly what it was. Maybe it's, you know, a bigger metaphor, get you out of the country, but I think it's literally out of this patio, yeah. this patio Jenkins. <laughs> All the rest of my factoids are grim things about real life cool so i wound up reading a lot about eileen because i just was curious like how much of what's in the movie it was really based on true life and i was trying to find someone who wrote about this movie that like is a sex worker i maybe i didn't look hard enough but i didn't find anything but i had a really hard time with like how she was characterized in a lot of the writing about her it just felt very gendered and like not very fair to her as like a human being a lot of the reporting said that she refused her last meal and she only requested a cup of coffee but her friend that she had been writing to from jail for many years who those letters that patty jenkins got that was between her and that friend she came the night before and was able to and was allowed to bring 20 dollars worth of food and she wanted two calzones potato chips and soda (laughs) 
so it wasn't as sad as they made it out to be. So this is, I think this is the, the I'm literally never going to have another time to bring this up on this po- on, on, on any podcast, really. <laughs> uh, I was at a party several months ago, and I met this girl who is a chef in New York City, and we came up with an idea for a restaurant. I'm trying to remember the name of the restaurant. La Fine de Mort, I think, which is, it's going to be a themed restaurant where there's a rotating menu of like 10 choices, and all you get to choose from are inmates' last meal requests. Oh, that's a great idea. I like that. But, like, it's a classy, upscale place, but, like, you mm-hmm. get, you know, a Happy Meal. But you pay, like, 40 bucks for the Happy Meal or something, because you're paying for the experience. Or your two calzones. Yes. Yeah. And you should put famous mugshots on the wall. There was a site that I had bookmarked, that I had archived, that I don't think is active anymore, but it was, like, this, like, ongoing list. I think it might have been either Florida or some state where, you know, capital punishment was legal, where it just logged every inmate's request for a final meal for a couple of years. And mm-hmm. it's wow. also, it includes like the ones that are rejected. Like, they, like people ask for cigarettes, but that gets rejected. People ask for alcohol, that gets rejected. But like you can see what people want. Like this guy's just like, I just want four packs of cigarettes. I'm like, no, sorry, can't do that. But like, that's what, that was what his request was. So uh, it's, it's sort of a bleak, dark restaurant idea. But I think uh, in the right New York City location could make, pardon the pun, a killing. Yeah. <laughs> All right, what else you got? Depress us some more, Kara. I, I actually, I wish that I had saved that factoid for the last factoid because the rest of them aren't quite as fun as that. But uh, Eileen, in her deposition or whatever, she claimed that the murders were done in self-defense and that the men had all tried to rape her. And then she later recanted that. But what her friend said was that she was just eager to die. So huh. she said, no, I killed them because I wanted to kill them and not necessarily, no, I killed them because they tried to hurt me and I was protecting myself. So we'll never know. But that I found interesting. In the movie, she shows uh, a John, like a photo of two children saying that they're her children and that she needs some, actually, we see her do this twice. Yep. She needs money to get to them. And apparently she used this a method in real life because her physical experience her physical appearance was starting to degrade due to her wild lifestyle yeah, and I read age. This one. but like it's weird it's not it's like her sister's kids it's not her kids her stepsister's, her stepsister's kids. kids yeah her stepsister who actually is her aunt so her <laughs> yeah her life story is like really it's sadder than it is even in this movie because in this movie it sounds like she was raised by her father and she had some siblings in real life she never met her father he later killed himself in jail her mother abandoned her i read in some places when she was an infant and then in other places when she was four years old so i don't know exactly which that was but she was then adopted by her grandparents and her uh, her maternal grandparents her grandfather was the one who sexually assaulted her and beat her like from the time when she was a young child she got pregnant by a friend of his who raped her terrible terrible things and she and her brother didn't know that their grandparents weren't actually their parents and then they found out when they were about 11 oh man so yeah i'm kind of glad we didn't get too deep into that kind of stuff and we just get those sort of throwaway lines that she gives us it works so much better it, it, it's almost yeah. more of a blow well a yeah way. and it, i think it like we were talking about before that there's so much darkness in this movie and it's so intense and like you couldn't write this stuff if you tried you know what i mean that like real life is actually even darker than what wound up in the screenplay the storage facility that we see her in she had one of those 
and she kept some of her victims' belongings there. Oh, uh, that ain't good. <laughs> yeah, that's real like, like Hannibal okay, that's, level. <laughs> that's some real serial killer shit. Yeah. Yeah. And then she sold others to pawn shops, which was what eventually led to her thumbprint identification and subsequent arrest. I'm surprised there isn't a shot caught. of that in this movie. Actually, going like yeah. just because there's so much about money, money, like it's so driven by we need to eat and like I need money that just like a casual pop into a pawn shop would have been like yeah. interesting to see her around all that weird shit <laughs> was the way that she got arrested with the bounty hunters was that real like how does the how does the i don't pawn know shop play into that i did not i didn't come across anything related to that but i guess she sold something to a pawn shop and they somehow i have got... a feeling nowadays or at least maybe even whenever this was 20 years ago pawn shops check stuff out have a system maybe call the cop call the police or do when they do inventory or if like one of the guys was reported missing or found murdered and then one of his belongings when you know shows up in a pawn shop oh uh warnos was not the first american woman to commit serial murders in fact over 80 have been recorded whoa yeah yeah. wasn't lizzie borden like way back Uh, in the day or did she just murder her parents (laughs) yeah i don't know if she counts as a serial killer Um, oh hold on sorry this is just like an obscure this is also the only time i'm ever gonna be able to say this but there is a chance Somewhere way back in my family lineage, that people in my family were related no. to Lizzie Borden. That's no cool. way. That there was something. Now this might I don't remember exactly because one of my mom's family members was super into genealogy, like sort of some distant family member. And so I remember we went to this like really big family reunion where I have not seen the people before or after that day. But they like sent through like the here's the history of us or whatever. And there was something along the lines of like Lizzie Borden had like three sisters three brothers married those three sisters or something and like the three brothers are somehow distantly related like i mean this is like brand like if this is a tree this is like branches and branches like this is across the other side of the tree but somewhere back in my history (laughs) i am related to superstardom wow (laughs) claim the fame wow to to finish what i was talking about sorry that i derailed you i just got so excited about my lizzie borden connection yeah how dare you so eileen's murders were different than those other female serial killers um and eileen's were more consistent with the type of murders committed by men so she killed outdoors instead of at home she used a gun instead of poison or suffocation she killed strangers instead of friends and family wherever i got this from said she killed for personal gratification instead of financial gain but i think that that's more complicated i would agree so women usually kill people they know they usually do it via poison or suffocation so these are all things to watch out for folks Uh, (laughs) they usually kill people inside instead of outside Check those eHarmony pages closely. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> um, that's that's interesting though that she sort of like that she has this mo. You know, it must have been easier to catch her because everything was like the same. She's like had a. Well, I mean, that's generally I like at least from depictions of it in popular culture. That's how serial killers work, I guess, and how like like what's her name? Serial mom. Yeah, no, I'm thinking <laughs> that, that of um, Jodie Foster. She plays that character Sounds that's like lambs? a profiler. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh-huh, uh-huh, yeah. They use people's, like, patterns and stuff to track them and find them. Behavioral analysis. There you go. Those are the words I was looking for. Jeb Bush signed her death warrant. Whoa. So, please clap. And... <laughs> so that you're supposed to say Jeb with an exclamation point. Jeb! Jeb! Exclamation point. Bush signed her death warrant. And her last words were, 
I'd just like to say I'm sailing with the rock and I'll be back like an Independence Day with Jesus on June 6th. Like what? the movie, Big Mothership and all, I'll be back. I saw that and I did want to say wow. that because I don't know if you were going to uh, like like that or think that was sad, but it's it's a great way to go out. It, that's just like a great final thing. It say. is sad, but it is also a really great way to go out. <laughs> yeah, there's something amazing about like incorporating modern pop culture into like a brand new reference into your final words like that (laughs) yeah quoting like independence day forever i'm out (laughs) (laughs) that i saved that one for last so that's the extent of my trivia it is great it is great mike do you have any other thoughts about monster before we get into this new game that might not work no okay good to go let's try this at least hi editor joey here so this game did not work at all on the next episode mike and i figured out how to actually play it so let's skip ahead to where we actually sort of do things that make sense. Well, do you want to... I mean, would you rather pitch a sequel to Monster? Monster 2, Electric Boogaloo. We see her actually get executed via Electric Love it. Oh, no, I'm just kidding. I did not electric mean to say boogaloo. that. Oh, that was awful. No, I think an interesting um, sequel would be about her life in prison and her... So not only was this movie made... But there were also two documentaries made about mm-hmm. her. I saw one of them when I first saw this. It's mostly about executions and like the death penalty. I felt. But okay. She, she yeah, I just I would have watched but... them, but I just I can't let any more of this into my life. So there were two documentaries. I'm just need to get timeline on them because I know one came out in like 1993, which was super early. Yeah, so The Selling of a Serial Killer came out in 1993, and then Life and Death of a Serial Killer came out in 2003, made by Nick Broomfield, both of them, who spent a lot of time with her, I guess, interviewing her and stuff. So I think an interesting... Oh, I forgot about this. Also, there was a TV movie in 1992 starring Gene Smart as Eileen, which... Isn't Doesn't that sound kind of amazing? I love her so much. And I would watch it if I wasn't already totally burned out on this. So yeah, no, the sequel would be about her spending time with this other filmmaker and talking him maybe turning turning her story into the media juggernaut that it turned out to be. I don't know. Right. Maybe that's a boring movie. No, I don't. I don't necessarily think so. I don't. I mean, there's so many movies about guys in prison that, like, I don't. I mean, no, now there's Orange is the New Black, but that's not exactly like a serious show. I feel like so it would be. I'd be. It's pretty compelled. serious. It's it's yeah. It's it? pretty I, serious. Oh, I watched the first season. Yeah, and it no, it gets like it gets it dark. Oh, it gets, it gets a lot darker. darker. Oh, okay. Yeah. I mean, it still is is very entertaining, and there are a lot of points of levity, but like it. Okay, it picks up definitely. Yeah, okay. if you want to. Put it that way. For lack of a better way to put it, <laughs> leave it at that. I wonder, like, do you have a different idea for a game that we could play for these next 10 episodes? I mean, we could start alternating, Joey. We could do, like, you know, this actually wouldn't have been a bad recast Ugh. game. There's only basically, like, two characters. I just, I'm, I'm so tired of both of those to... games, though. I don't want to. Okay. That's fine with me. No, I understand. We'll come up I mean, with like, I really, I actually felt like I was good at the recast game as even though it's tough it's like a hard game because there's so much to do but that pitch a sequel game like i thought i was gonna rock the shit out of that and i ended up feeling like i just 
failed miserably at that game for 10 episodes straight. So the last segment on our show, Kara, which you have heard on past episodes, is where we talk about the awards that we would like to nominate this film for at the Watch the Throne Awards, Mm -hmm. the Golden Wallpapers, the Golden Teeth, whatever they are to be named at the end of the day. I went ahead and nominated this for five things off the bat. Best Film, Best Role, Best Non-Charlie's Female, Best Love Story, and... What was the fifth? Thing? Oh, uh, best line, which was "fuck you, Leslie." You'll never meet someone like me again, which I just sort of loved. She says that. Christina really? I think there's so many better lines. Well, in there this. are, but I really, really like that. What's your favorite line from this movie, then? Aside from "fuck you, Leslie." Yeah, I, it's mostly the voiceover stuff. The voiceover when she's talking about that like minor celebrity that came to her school and made a speech about how quote all you need in life is love and to believe in yourself, and there's. And then there's nothing you can't do. I don't know. I guess it's it's a good line because of what's happening on screen. You know, it's like a contextual thing and less about it being like a stand on its own line. But she says it doesn't work. It doesn't work that way. Better to hear a lie than learn the truth at 13. I think this movie has really I got several really good sort of monologues or semi-monologues, like, you know, longer yeah. passages. But this, this line is sort of, you know, shorter things which is difficult i just yeah because the other one that i was gonna say is uh in my life it's always been the harmless stuff that hurts the most whereas the things Uh so horrible you can't imagine it's usually a lot easier than you think you never really know until you're the one standing there or someday all you're gonna want is a roof over your head even if you have to sleep with a man to get it this movie's full of depressing shit (laughs) it speaks to truth though like that's yeah (laughs) and i actually the the very end of the movie too she starts like with the voiceover she's saying all of these like common platitudes about life and love and like whatever and then she laughs and says they got to tell you something right and that's the last line in the movie oh, i did write that down maybe we'll maybe we'll do that one instead but again that's like a contextual thing and not a standalone i was thinking of maybe best song i just can't tell which one is used better mm. i would go with crimson and clover yeah i think i'm leaning towards that one. i like that song more mm-hmm. but i don't know i just feel like they're both sort of like master examples like you know you're lucky to get one in your movie and she's got two we can do we can do both we can do whatever we want guys (laughs) (laughs) i want to dance tommy james and the shondells but uh yeah i mean i definitely had those other ones that you had joey as well you know i want to say it's not that it's a good looking it's not like i wouldn't say it's a good looking movie but i like the way it's shot like it it's Mm -hmm. it fits the tone you know what I mean? Yeah. Like that really has it going for it. So I don't think we could really nominate that for anything, but I just wanted to mention that like sometimes you just get movies that like are too slick for the story mm-hmm. or not slick enough for what they're trying to say. And this I liked how it looked like a, it looked dirty and grimy and dingy and and all that and it really fit really fit the tone and everything. And they also let the focus breathe sometimes like it would go like slightly out of focus and then come back and slightly out of focus and they didn't use it throughout the whole movie but when they did it was really effective who shot this movie do we know who shot this movie some guy the sheriff no (laughs) oh boy i'm getting so old my jokes are starting to tell (laughs) becoming like even bernstein known for shooting oh my god so his his, oh jesus how did he how did he get this movie Uh oh here are his next five movies in terms of popularity on Letterboxd. White Chicks, Scary Movie 2, The Water Boy, Half-Baked, oh my God, and White Little Chicks Man. Is so good. Oh, I'll tell you Classics. How he, I'll tell you how he got this job. He works a cheapo. 
And he had his own equipment. Wow. No. <laughs> wow. Yeah, that might do it. So, yeah. What was, wait, the, but what was, like, right before Monster? What did he shoot? Do you know, like, did he shoot Scary Movie, then Monster, and then, like, White Chicks? Or, like, that would be incredible. So before this, he did The Waterboy, and then this movie called Forsaken, and then Scary Movie 2, and oh. then Monster. Wow. 98, 01, 01, 03, and then White Chicks. In and then White Chicks. Oof, White Chicks just, like, you know, all of the clout he built up for shooting this movie is just washed away in the rain for that. <laughs> just so unfortunate. Super cool. Good job, guy. Good job, guy. Well, Kara, thank you for joining us on this episode of Monster. You'll be back in two weeks. I think you might be the <sighs> quickest turnaround guest that we ever have on this podcast. We sort of limited oh, each good. guest only th- three or fewer movies. And so just so happened that you are here two weeks from now. I'm looking forward to uh, cleansing my palate with the Pink Panther. Next week, we're doing a movie called Head in the Clouds, which I know nothing about. Next after that is The Life and Death of Peter Sellers, which I found out, according to our Golden Globe, Golden Globe nomination that was either a TV movie or it was like nominated for one of those like best actress in a TV movie or a miniseries or limited series. So I guess it was a maybe it was an HBO film. I don't know, but we'll find out in two weeks. But next week is Head in the Clouds. I wonder if I will finally get around to watching the last four Pink Panther movies no. before this Peter no. Seller thing. There's eleven Pink Panther movies. Just <laughs> just wrap your mind around that. I've seen eight of them or something. I've lost count. I have to go check. But I've seen all the Peter Sellers ones, and then I tapped out. Mike, I would like you to live to see <laughs> that episode. And I think that if you... So if you watch the last four, one of three things is going to happen. Either you're going to just straight up die, uh, you're going to go insane, <laughs> or you might just vanish into nothingness because no one's supposed to have seen every Pink Panther movie. Like, it might just be no, like, I mean, it's... he has completed his existence, and he's going to go to a higher plane of... <laughs> something or a lower plane just something like, i don't know like ghost story yeah yeah it's my ghost story you finally get that paper out of the wall <laughs> oh god i love a ghost story but Kara, thank you for being here i'm looking forward to having you back in two weeks you are so here's the here's the exciting thing no guest next week so you were guest twice in a row just over three weeks so yeah. i hope you feel super honored i do and then you'll be back down the road for another super depressing movie cool 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 well, at least uh, you can listen to Kara on my show, Third Time's a Charm, in the April episode oh, that already came of Jaws out. 3D. That came out. I my know. Well, movie. Yeah, so go listen to it. That's what I'm saying. It's out. Go check it out. Kara's on there. We talk Jaws. It's a good time. If this episode comes out, when does this episode come out? This episode comes out April 20. Oh, 420, bros. Smoke up. Oh. <laughs> this comes out on 420. Uh, go see Super Troopers 2 tonight, because, you know, that's the best. <laughs> uh, and then go back and listen to Jaws 3D, and also go listen to Kara's podcast. So, Kara, okay, we did this with Jordan when she was on the last time for Sweet November, and we're like, what's coming up next? And she's like, I have no idea. As we're recording this, Wistful Thinking just took a dump. Uh, what movies are you guys covering in the next month or so between the time we're recording this and the time this comes out? Do you have anything planned? Like, what can people go listen to that is readily available to them? Well, by the time this comes out, our Spice World episode will have gone I saw up. that tweet. I forgot about that. Yes. Ah, oh, what a delight. <laughs> Jordan did not feel the same way. I agree with Jordan. But I just but love that movie fine. so much. Oh, it's it's a masterpiece. Other than that, we don't actually have anything on the calendar at the moment, but we've talked about... We gave Wistful Thinking a shout-out on the Nice Guys episode of Boyfriend Material. We were talking about young... Mike mentioned Nancy Drew, and then my, my co-host, Joe Two, was talking... He thought he was remembering Amanda Bynes as a detective, and I was like, no, 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 sir. That was Michelle Trachtenberg in Harriet the Spy, my first mm-hmm. crush, oh. which I have talked about on Wistful Thinking, and I mentioned on that show, so... 
So we gave you and Jordan a mm-hmm. shout out on that. Uh, well, we've talked about doing Sound of Music. I, having brought up Heavenly Creatures tonight, would like to revisit that. But as far as stuff that's already out there, you can definitely check out our trio of winter sports-themed programming that we did with Joey. We did The Cutting Edge, Ice Princess, and Mighty Ducks. That was a good time. You know what's weird, Kara? I have on uh, NBC Sports Network a lot just because I haven't changed the channel, I guess, since... Like, I have my TiVo as four tuners, and so it just... It's the one that's on, so it's been on since Pyeongchang. And they still air Olympics coverage. Ooh, really? I I think it's it's not new. I can tell you that much. But, like, I don't know... Like, it doesn't (laughs) explicitly say reruns. So, like, I'm I'm pretending I'm in, like, an alternate reality where, like, it's still happening. Olympics forever. (laughs) It just feels like there's... There's so much coverage that it's still going on, even though the yeah. the events have stopped. <laughs> well, the Paralympics happened, but they don't air those very much. And they, did they happen in Pyeongchang? Yes. So they're always in the same place. Okay. Kind of. I don't... More or less the same place. I don't think that's it. I don't know. I honestly don't know what this is, because I don't want to dig too deep and have the magic dispelled. Like, I just want to sort of think... Mm-hmm. That the Olympics are still Except happening. the mystery. Well, yes. as we record this, uh, the World Figure Skating Champions Championships are coming up this week. I actually put them on my work calendar <laughs> today so I could tune in <laughs> and make sure I don't miss Wonderful. them on NBC. SN. But also, you can check out my other podcast, In Sickness and In Health. By the time this comes out, my episode with Jennifer Brea will be up. She is a uh, MECFS patient. That's myalgic encephalomyelitis, otherwise called chronic fatigue, chronic fatigue syndrome patient. And also a filmmaker and she managed to do what I thought was impossible which is she made this beautiful documentary called Unrest almost entirely from her bed. I want to see that movie. That's been on my list for a while. I am very much looking forward to that. That's awesome. Uh, Another like really intense movie to watch but you know as a person myself living with poorly understood chronic health issues what she documents in that movie even though it's like a condition-specific documentary, it's there's a lot of it that's really relevant and really illustrative of the patient experience um, for a lot of people living with chronic health conditions. So it's a beautiful, beautiful film. I highly recommend it. And I got to talk to her and interview her for In Sickness and In Health. So that'll be out by the time this goes I want to say that's awesome, but I don't know if that's the right word for, you know, what that subject matter is about. But that's super, super cool that you got to talk to her. I'm really excited. And then maybe I will prioritize mm-hmm. that and see that soon and then listen to your show. Yeah. Maybe. If you're lucky. Maybe. <laughs> Welcome back, Sickness and In Health. Right? Yeah. I mean, it's kind of... it's you. This is like the first newish episode in a while, I think. Mm, Yeah, kind of. I'm so bad at doing regular episodes. Well, Um, no, I mean, you're doing the wistful stuff too, though. So I wouldn't even. I thought this was on the back burner for good, but I think that's great that it's that you're doing both now. So yeah, I thought it was on the back burner for good too. <laughs> and I decided to bring it back and then I was going to do monthly episodes and that didn't quite pan out because it turns out when you're scheduling two chronically ill people to do the same thing at the same time, it doesn't always pan out. So I, I've had a lot of like cancellations and scheduling issues 
but there's new content to come for sure. Great. And you can get linked to that podcast and that website from Cage Club. Let me go to the host link at the top and click on Kara's picture. And you can see the link to In Sickness and In Health. Go do that. Mm -hmm. Go find that podcast and listen to that. So thank you again, Kara. We will talk to you soon. Thanks for having me. For all things Watch the Throne and Wistful Thinking and Jaws 3D, you can go to cageclub.me or facebook.com slash cageclub or at cageclubpod on Twitter. You can see all the shows that we've done. This is episode 21, which means we have 20 of these in the can, another 25 or so to go before we catch up. So we will be done later this year, but we still have got a long ways to go. And I am still surprised by how many of her movies between now, but between where we are and the present day, I know literally nothing about. So there are Ditto. more than a few. There are like 10 or 12 movies I have never heard of. Yeah, definitely more than Keanu and Cage when we were coming into those shows. Like, she's got the most stuff I haven't seen, so I'm excited about that. Fingers crossed for Waking Up in Reno 2. Cageclub.me, <laughs> Facebook.com, slash Cageclub, at Pod on Twitter. I'm Joey Lewandowski. And I'm Mike Manzi. And that was Cara Gale O'Regan. We'll see you next time on Watch the Throne.